The San Francisco Dance Film Festival presents Dancing Through the Lens, a bi-monthly podcast featuring guests from our dance and filmmaking communities who share their interests, insights, and methods of creation and connection. I'm Claire Schweitzer. Thanks to rapid advancements in video technology, almost everyone has the power to create high-quality video right at their fingertips. However, many artists have been gravitating toward analog technologies, drawn by the uniquely physical and material methods of creation, as well as the ethereal image that results. Tori Lawrence is a filmmaker and choreographer who produces immersive site-specific dances, interdisciplinary performance installations, and dance films that explore the relationship among body, landscape, and architecture. Tori has been in residence with legendary choreographer Sarah Shelton Mann at the Fort Mason Center of Arts and Culture on the experimental performance work Seven Excavations, which will culminate in a performance on the summer solstice on June 21st. In this conversation, Tori offers detailed insight into the process of developing Seven Excavations, and reflects on her own work exploring the creative possibilities of 8mm and 16mm film. So, Tori Lawrence, thank you for joining us on the show today. Yeah, my my pleasure. Well, first of all, I actually want to ask you, since um, you really are in the thick of it, uh, can you actually start by talking about the residency that you're doing right now with Sarah Shelton Mann? Sure, yes. Um, so Sarah has a like a month-long um, residency at Fort Mason Center for Arts and Culture, and it started June 3rd, and it will culminate in a performance on Solstice this Tuesday at 8 p.m. And um, this was a piece that Sarah sort of started making during kind of like the height of the pandemic um, a couple years ago, and I was moving to San Francisco at the time, and I've always wanted to work with Sarah, um, and so we started working on this film installation called Seven Excavations. It, it was prompted by journal entries that she was creating during the time of shelter in place, so she calls it her shelter journal. And I was really intrigued by a lot of her writing, and so I started excerpting some of it and taking it apart, and then that's when I started, um, I went to Brooklyn and then I started animating it. She's just such a powerful uh, choreographer and spoken word artist, and I think I was intrigued at, at bringing these these words into the format of film, um, so that there could be this this reflective space for audience members to enter, and to just to listen to her, but without hearing her voice, but to to read it, so that they could perhaps maybe insert themselves into this into this like foreshadow that she's predicting of of climate change and the economy collapsing and are we striving for more and more of of what and what's going to happen and history keeps repeating itself and she's always talking about how she keeps making the same work over and over again because all of all of these sort of like uprisings and catastrophes and and changes in the world just they they keep happening because there's there's always going to be this unrest and and so a lot of her her text is just of questions and of of placing us into the past but also placing us into the future and just sort of removing us from what we've done and just and just just looking at it and so I chose to use analog film as a way to sort of remove us and place us into the past because it's such a vintage it's a vintage look 
Um, but what I was doing is I was combining found footage. So I was filming um, footage from the time when Sarah was born, 1943, up until now. And so that's a lot of footage. <laughs> I was like, Sarah, are you, are you serious? At the time, she was 77, so that's why we were f doing 77 frames. Everything was seven about the whole project, but at the time, she was saying, okay, now, I want you to gather found footage from 1943 until now. And I was just like, how the heck am I going to do that? So um, I just, I got a little bit more abstract with the images, and, I've, and I, I did gather images of when the time she was born, and then I, I sprinkled some in between, and then of, of now, but I filmed it all on 16 millimeter, so the audience will, is confused about what is happening, and um, I'll do close-ups and zooms into things and into news so that it all looks the same, like there's an explosion here that then you cut to explosion you know, from 50 years ago, then you cut to an explosion from 10 years ago, and and then the climate change is happening, and all the civil unrest is the same of what it was in the 70s as of now, but we're still protesting, we're still on the streets. It's just, it's, it's never ending. And at the time of Shelter in Place, when she was writing, everyone was wondering, when is this, is this, is this going to get any better? Like it just, it felt like it was at the peak. There was like, it was, there was this peak moment. Everyone was out on the streets and we were just hoping and praising for, for change. There's been various drafts um, being made on it, but now there's this residency. And so she's working on the gallery installation for seven excavations. And then she's also working with a really large cast of performers and musicians and lighting designer um, to create a full evening length work. And then it will all happen over the period of the sunset on solstice. So it would be really magical. That's yeah. fantastic. Windows open, view of the bay and all. View of the bay, it's the most beautiful view. Uh, you have the Golden Gate Bridge right there and then all the fog that comes in. And every day it's it's like, uh, it's a different lighting design, but it's, it's so magical. Fantastic, perfect for the longest day of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nice. And uh, can you actually speak about um, your process approaching this? Um, because you approach film from many different places, from many different angles, um, particularly when it comes to the actual media of film that you're working with. So can you talk about like what you've been interested in, what you've been really researching over the course of this month? Since working with Sarah on this project, she was talking to me about her ideas of putting her journals and text onto film. And I had just started really getting into um, analog filmmaking, 16mm and Super 8. And so I thought it would be really interesting to use an animation stand and film her text with black and white film. And so I sort of, I excerpted a lot of it um, with my sister, Kristen Lawrence, shout out, <laughs> and in Brooklyn at this wonderful organization called Mono No Aware. And Steve helped us use the animation stand, and for like five hours, we were just animating Sarah's text frame by frame. Oh and God. she was really interested in the number seven, and so we did 77 frames per piece of text. So, and it looks, it's like, it may be a very subtle thing, the text, like if from, you know, if it's, it looks like analog versus digital, but for me, it's... Uh, it just gives, I don't know, I just really love the look of it. It's just so beautiful when you have, like, the text embedded into the film itself rather than having, like, graphics put on top of it in post. So the project started with that, and I decided that I also wanted to learn how to develop my own f film. I've done it with photography before, but I really wanted to do it 
uh, with 16 millimeter and Super 8. So I decided to shoot everything in black and white. There's uh, a non-toxic mixture that I was wanting to use um, to develop it, which is vitamin C, uh, beer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not not your expensive IPA beer, but some pretty, you know, cheap beer. Right. <laughs> um, laundry booster, which is sometimes kind of hard to find. Oh, wow. Um, and water and coffee crystals. Oh, my gosh. And you mix it around in a bucket, and it's um, non, it's non-toxic, so you once you're done with it, you can pour it down the drain rather than f- trying to find a way to dispose of it. The fixer that I was using was... Um, was toxic actually, but you can do a non-toxic um, fixer. I think which is like a salt water bath for over a very long period of time. Right. Um, my sister's been experimenting with that, but I had to. Do, I had to make everything pretty pretty fast. So um, yeah. So there was a lot of things I wanted to experiment with, and so I was talking with Sarah, and trying to turn this into um, sort of a new experience for me, and she was very willing to do it. And so we shot a lot of it in Joshua Tree because the light is just so rich and strong there. And, and with what she's talking about with climate change and everything, I was wanting to film in locations um, that are deserts and sort of like maybe this is our future. And then, the, and then we've also been shooting in, uh, in, in the Bay Area and, and a lot of the work talks about the wildfires and she's turning to ashes. And, and it's just all of her journal entries of two, two years ago when the fires were very, very bad. Um, it was very scary and the, and the skies were orange and she and I were still meeting and I was like, this Sarah, this is freaking me out. I just moved here. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to the Bay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the work, yeah, it became a lot of working with black and white film and developing it myself. I had friends, Ellie Gaudi-Averill and Ainsley Tharp, um, who were also there with me in the bathtubs and just, like, developing everything in the dark. And it was just really, really fun process. Well, I actually want to um, step back in time a little bit and talk about your work with analog film. I will, will say, from as someone who views a lot of submissions for San Francisco Dance Film Festival, we received quite an explosion of work shot on both 8mm and 16mm film. And I'm really interested, how did you get into this work and why do you think so many people are gravitating toward it now? I got into this work because my teachers who had sort of introduced me into the video dance, screen dance world in college, uh, Pam Bale and Jeremy Moss. Um, Jeremy's a filmmaker and Pam's a dance maker. And they taught my, you know, very first video dance course, and the two of them created analog films, and I've always just been really interested in their in their work together. And it wasn't until I went to graduate school at the University of Iowa, where a lot of friends of mine were working in analog, I really appreciated how different grain is um, compared to to pixels. Like there's just so much texture and how much light comes into play with the image. As an improviser, as a dance improviser, I wanted to work with analog film because I thought there was a lot that I could could play with. There was a lot of different variables to play with in terms of the cameras themselves. Yeah, I've, with my work as a choreographer, I, I create everything through improvisation and then from there um, it comes into set material. And so I feel like the more and more that I was working with digital cameras and gimbals and drones and things, the more I realized how it was a very different type of process and it didn't look like my live performances at all. Um, it was very clean, pristine. All the shots seemed as if, you know, some fancy drone was 
filming them and and it's it's really if anyone has seen my live work that's not what my live work looks like and so I was I was, I was really struck by 16 millimeter film and and how it just seems yeah there's there's bit there's just more texture and grit to it there there is a lot of chances to make mistakes and fail but those mistakes that come into it i i, I always keep them in and i think that's what happens with my choreography as well where i'm always sort of collaborating with the environment and listening to its scores and rules and i just incorporate that into my work and i feel like you can do that more with analog yeah i totally get like you know sometimes that when you're, you're when you're using digital and it gets very sterile sometimes and like that's yeah. usually like one of the issues like whenever I'm working with things it just seeing seeing everything almost too perfect it, lo- it looks flat it almost looks like the life's taken out of it in a way yeah where it's like well in my imagination and in my dream space it didn't look like that and then you 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 put it all together and you look at it through the lens with this like beautiful pristine raw image and you're like but what's I think the mind has all these like filters and light play within things and there's a lot of light play with analog cameras and shadow and and with digital it's you can do some of this like in post and color correction um it's just not the same now one of the um tricky parts working with analog film is that you don't really have, uh, I mean, unless you have a way to develop it on your own and um, have a projector that plays the work, you don't really have much of a reference for what you've shot or what the image is going to look like. I'm very interested. How do you work with that unknown? I, I actually, that is the reason why I work with analog. It's because of the unknown. And I adore um, not knowing and then getting all the film scanned and back from the lab and just like just rejoicing and how how beautiful it looks and and a lot of it you know does go as planned because like I use light meters and things and I I'll test my shots but a lot of it is you just leave it up to the mystery of it but I think the work that I choose to shoot um, with analog cameras a lot of it is improvised and I'm not really heavy, heavily attached to the results of it. So there's a lot of play and experimentation that I do with it, just as I do as, a, as an improviser. Um, do you have any particular instance where something emerged from the film that you weren't planning or weren't expecting, but created something that maybe you couldn't have planned? I don't know. I was, I was really pleasantly surprised with how the, the text came out. I was playing with the f-stop on the camera, and I'm um, just like I was just bringing light in and out of these of these text cards, just moving the cards around and putting things on top of them like dirt. And at the time, I was like, well, "This is just not gonna work. This is not gonna look good at all." But then when it came out, I was thinking, "Oh, thank goodness! I I actually put something human into this text, so people can see that there's a lot of labor involved here. Like we did 77. Like this took five hours to get this three minutes of text." <laughs> So a lot of people might be interested in getting into this work and getting into work with 8mm and 16mm film, but might not know where to start. How would you recommend, like what advice would you give to someone who wants to get involved in this work? The organization I was talking about based in Brooklyn, Mono Noaware, they teach uh, a lot of workshops throughout the whole year. 
and they're pretty affordable too. They also have community sessions where you can come and you can develop film together. He also has a lot of great cameras that you could rent out and use, so you don't have to go through the risk of finding a, an antique camera online and, and hoping it works, um, <laughs> because sadly they don't always. I just had to say goodbye to a camera. <laughs> I have a follow-up question to that. Like how, um, because a lot of the cameras obviously are very old and, um, I think that there have been attempts to bring back like a Bolex for the new generation, but obviously there's nothing like shooting with something that was made for that particular time. Mm-hmm. How do you vet sellers who are selling these cameras and how do you go to the, through the process of making sure that what you're getting is actually going to be functional and not just like a very fancy paperweight? Well, I, I actually have just just one seller right now who who's really trustworthy and he, he fixes up everything and I just really trust him. But there was one time where I did not use him and now that camera doesn't work. <laughs> but I could, I could help people if, if they're interested and point you um, into the direction of, of trustworthy places who can who know if, 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 if the camera is working properly or not. Well, thank you so much, Tori, for joining us on the show today. And uh, we're very much looking forward to uh, the solstice. Great, great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Dancing Through the Lens. If you enjoy what you are hearing, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and leave a rating and review. We would love to hear your thoughts on the show so far and any suggestions you have for the future. Feel free to contact us through the social pages linked in the show notes. Dancing Through the Lens is a production of the San Francisco Dance Film Festival. It is produced and hosted by Chris Willette and Claire Schweitzer. Theme music for Dancing Through the Lens was composed by Daria Novo. You can find the San Francisco Dance Film Festival online at sfdancefilmfest.org and in the social media pages linked in the show notes.